0: Today we are continuing from Zechariah 9. You know, as I as I pray into Zechariah 9 and I pray into the sermon, you know, God is really saying so much to me, and I cannot say everything today, but I want to tell you right now that when we open church and we're live preaching from BY uh, in Zechariah 9, it is really, really now we didn't plan it in our human intelligence, but God planned it because Zechariah 8. To Zechariah 9 signifies a new beginning for the whole book of Zechariah. It signifies a whole new season. It signifies a change from a a physical temple to a spiritual temple. It signifies a change where Jesus actually comes again. And I and I know in my heart of hearts and in my spirit that this weekend will signify a change in SIBKL's trajectory. Right? We're going to usher the presence of God back in, and we're just so excited. I want to get into Zechariah 9 because I have a lot to say, um, and I and I'm pressed for time. But we're going to read Zechariah 9 together, okay? So everybody in the house, we're going to hear each other read for the very first time in what, eight months? Six months? Uh, but it feels like a thousand years, right? So it really does feel like a thousand years uh, to me. My, my title is God and Camps Around Us. And I'm trying to go to the next slide. There we go. Okay. Uh, that's, okay, here we go. We ready to read the Word of God? All right, all together in the house of God. One, two, three. A prophecy, the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and will come to rest on Damascus for the eyes of all people and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord and on Hamath too, which borders on it and on Tyre and Sidon, though they are very skillful. Tyre has built herself a stronghold. She has heaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirt on the streets. But the Lord will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea, and she will be consumed by fire. Ashkelon will see it and fear. Gaza would rise in agony, and Akron too, for her hope will wither. Gaza will lose her king, and Ashkelon will. Be deserted. I'm trying to go next. There we go. Ashkelon will seed and fear. Gaza will writhe in agony in Akron too, for her hope will wither. Gaza will lose her king and Ashkelon will be deserted. A mongrel people will occupy Ashdod. And I will put an end to the pride of the Philistines. I will take the blood from their mouths, the forbidden food from between their teeth. Those who are left will belong to our God and become a clan in Judah. And Akron will be like the Jebusites. But I will encamp at My temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, Your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of my blood covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. It's so it's so amazing to hear uh, you read and to hear a voice other than mine when I read uh, at home on the screen the Scriptures. It's so amazing. Um, before I go into my sermon that, uh, entitled, God and Camps Around Us, uh, um, I'm not going to cover the whole Zechariah 9 because Pastor Chu did it yesterday, and I thought he did an amazing job, uh, 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 obviously. Um, I... I have to say that because he did an amazing job and he is my senior pastor. So please go catch the sermon and and see a big overview of of Zechariah 9. But I want to focus today on just three verses because I I thought these three verses really spoke to me and I pray it would speak to you. You see, the context of Zechariah 9 really is this. There we go. This is a map of, of, of the Middle East, all right? So if you know the greater Middle East map, uh, you will know that Europe is here, uh, Africa is here, Asia, and so on and so forth. But here's Jerusalem. Now, the context is God is calling the people of, of Israelites back from the land of Babylon, back from the uh, from Babylon herself, all the way back to Jerusalem, and Zechariah prophesied. During this prophecy, Zechariah 9, they were still enemies of Jerusalem, surrounding Jerusalem. There were still uh, world forces ready to invade and attack Jerusalem, right? So verse eight, okay, chapter eight, go back. This is homework, right? Go back and read chapter eight. Chapter eight ends with a promise of God that says, I will defend you. I will be with you. I will rid you of your enemies. But in chapter nine, the enemies were still around. Right, the enemies were still there. So we've got Persians, modern-day uh, Iran, uh, on the on the right of Jerusalem. Then we've Babylonians, modern-day Iraq, uh, right here. With the land of Hadrach uh, um, it's old language for Syria slash Lebanon. All right, so it's one big land before the the split between Syria and Lebanon. Then we've got the Philistines. I I, I it's on the ocean, but it's not really. It's actually, it, it, the Philistines are actually coastal cities. All right, so that's I. I I couldn't I couldn't put it on the coast so there there we go. So we we know the Philistines and then we've got the Egyptians. So these are world forces that are ready to invade Jerusalem. But if you read uh, chapter 9 a little bit more in detail there will be specific cities that I want to point out. And then I want to tell a story, a legend. Is that okay? So this is Hamath up here, Damascus. Sidon and Tyra. So if you read in the Gospels, they're also in the Decapolis, Tyra and Sidon, right? But Tyra and Sidon are these cities Uh, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. So these Tyre and Sidon in the book of Zechariah is uh, two different cities. Is that all right? So this one is uh, uh, right next to the coast of of the uh, the Mediterranean. Then we've got Jerusalem here. Then we've got, actually there are five capitals of the Philistines. Um, If if anyone can guess the fifth capital uh, uh, of the Philistines, I I will personally uh, pray for you later. That's the prize. Gath, all right. I'll I'll pray for you later. Gath, that's right. Gath is actually situated right here. But in Zechariah 9, Gath was not mentioned. It was just Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, uh, and Ekron. These are the cities. So if you keep the slide up just a little while longer, I want to tell you a story. Now, you, you can't find it in the book of Zechariah, but legend has it, all right, legend has it. And this legend was written by Josephus, the Jewish historian, right? So legend has it that during the Alexander the Great's time. So everybody know Alexander the Great. He was a mighty conqueror. He came from Europe. He came from Greece. And he wanted to conquer the world, the known world at that time. Now, why is the the Middle East so greatly contested? Everybody want to come to Jerusalem. Everybody wants Jerusalem. Because actually the Middle East, this portion right here, is the center north to south and east to west. So you can't go north to south without ever passing Jerusalem. You can't go east to west without ever passing Jerusalem. So those who conquered Jerusalem are, are actually is in the center of the world, so to speak, right? So that's why it's so hotly contested. So Alexander the Great came down. Now he was 21 years old. He's got 35,000 Greeks with him, his army, right? So he's ready to conquer the whole land and says, I am the greatest conqueror after Genghis Khan, right? So what he did is he, he has conquered, Right, And during that time, who was his contemporary? King Darius. So if you go back to 2019, or is it 2020? uh, 2020, and if you study uh, the four books, which is Nehemiah, Haggai, um, Ezra, and Zechariah, you will understand that King Darius played a very important role for the Jews coming back to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was actually allied with King Darius. King Darius is the Persians, right? Uh, There we go. So when Alexander the Great came down, he conquered. Now, which was the strongest city in this whole region. There was only one strong city. So you conquer this city, you conquer it all. Just like when when Joshua wanted to conquer the land of Canaan, there was only one city that was the strongest. You conquer the first strongest city, you conquer it all. That was Jericho. But in this time, it is the city of Tyre. The city of Tyre was so famous for being impregnable, right, that um, the Assyrians spent five years trying to conquer the city, failed and they left. The Babylonians spent 13 years camping outside Tyra. They failed and they left. And so that's why you read in Zechariah 9, 9 right? Tyre was known across the world. So when Tyra falls, everybody writhes in agony and in fear. So Alexander the Great says, I am going to be the great conqueror to conquer this city that is known across the world. And he spent Seven months to conquer the city. Now, I wish I had the time to tell you about his conquer, because honestly, when I studied it, word for word in Zechariah 9, I can explain to you how the prophecy came true word for word. Do you know it's Zechariah 9, to me, is the apex of Zechariah, the the culmination of the whole book. And do you know, for years and for centuries, theologians and and people who don't believe in Christianity argues about the book of Zechariah because the prophecies in Zechariah were so accurate to the very word and to the very T that people cannot believe that somebody predicted every single thing 500, 200 years before it actually happened. So when you read Zechariah, and you see the fulfillment of prophecy, and you see the fulfillment of promise, you can read the whole Bible, and you can be 100% sure that when Jesus says, He loves you, He loves you. You don't have to doubt His word. You don't have to, to look to the left or look to the right. As long as Jesus tells me, He loves me. That's all I need in this world. So, all right, can I encourage everybody? So, when Alexander the Great conquered Tyra, go home. Go and Google this, Alexander the Great versus the siege of Tyra, or Tyra, right? And then you can read the whole story of how he conquered Tyra and the amazing feat that is Alexander the Great. But legend has it, when he was conquering Tyre, in the seven months, he actually ran out of supplies. So everybody knows when you wage war, you need supplies, right? So he went to Jerusalem. He sent an envoy to Jerusalem to say, Could you provide me with food and grain and wood and stones so that I can go and conquer Tyre? What did Jerusalem say? No. Why? Because they were allied with King Darius. Go back to Nehemiah, you will understand why Jerusalem was allied with King Darius. Is that okay? All right. So they said no, and Alexander was absolutely livid. He was angry. He was pissed pissed off. And he says, when I have conquered Tyre, I will come back for you, Jerusalem. I will not leave the Middle East until I have sacked and conquered Jerusalem. Those were his actual words. He conquered Tyre. He went south, then he conquered Akron, he conquered Ashdod, he conquered Ashkelon, he conquered Gaza. Then he went to conquer his actual enemy, which is Egypt. So all these were not his actual enemy. He says, i got to pass through you in order to get to Egypt. He went to Egypt, he won, and then he came back. He circled back. He says, I want to come back to Greece, but now I'm going to come to Jerusalem. He came to Jerusalem with 30,000 Greek soldiers and those times were phalanx, right? And he came with a war horse and he stood outside the city of Jerusalem ready to come in, to conquer. Now, we all know Jerusalem is not a war city. The only time Jerusalem was a war military city was back in the King David's time. Now, it's just a city, of a religious city where you come and you pray. And the priest, now catch me here, the priest in the city of Jerusalem prayed and besought God and asked the whole city to come and fast and pray before God. God, will you come and save us? Come and save us, God. And then God gave the high priest a vision. Legend has it that the vision is this. God says, go and open your gates to your conquering king. Open your gates, but dress up in white robes and put on your high priestly gear. Now, we all know when you put on your Urim and Thurim and your priestly gear, it's only meant for the temple. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. But the vision says, put on your priestly gear, take all your high priests... we're talking to leaders. It's almost God saying, leaders, put on your priestly robes, put on your white robes, and all the leaders will march out to greet Alexander the Great. And of course, we were trembling, right? Because he has a vengeance against Jerusalem. You could either march out and that could be your last march in this, in this world. So they marched out. And when the gates of Jerusalem opened and when they res- and Alexander the Great uh, saw them and they rode towards Alexander the Great, guess what Alexander the Great did? This is written in history. Guess what he did? He bowed down to worship. He bowed down to when he saw the priest. He was supposed to conquer, but he bowed down in worship. He went into Jerusalem with with the priest and then he sacrificed and gave offerings to Yahweh to our King, our Jesus Christ. And then after the whole ceremony is over, his generals, his, his, his lieutenants next to him, his, uh, asked him one question. Alexander, we were ready to kill everybody in this city. We were ready to burn this city to the ground. What happened? And this is what Alexander the Great said. He said, "When before I left hometown Greece, God gave me a dream God gave me a dream, and I saw white horses and white men coming out to greet me. And when they came out to greet me, all I could do was bow in worship. And then they asked a follow-up question. Why do you worship men? We have our own Greek gods. Why did you worship men? And here is his answer. He said, I did not bow down to those priests, but I bowed down to the God Those priests. I recognize that the God of the Jews is the God in the world, and because in my dream I saw that vision, and it only came to pass when I saw the priest came out to greet me, I knew that I was not supposed to sack the city, I was not supposed to destroy the temple. And he left Jerusalem in peace, and Jerusalem is the only city that Alexander the Great did not conquer because he chose not to conquer because the Lord our God said so. And then we land in verse number 8. This is where verse number 8 comes in. And he says, God says, but I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I am keeping watch, word for word. This is my first point. God and camps around us. God encamps around the body of Christ. Amen. Do you know, uh, 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 earlier in the year, we were in in, in MUFW and in the firewall prayers, there was one verse that really stood out, right? Zechariah 2. And God shall be a firewall around Jerusalem and God shall be a firewall around His people. The fulfillment of that firewall is actually in chapter 9, verse 8, where God says, what is a firewall? A firewall around the church is when God, and His heavenly host and His army and camps around His temple and camps around the body. And today, I want to encourage you. Just like Jerusalem, you may have your enemies still exist, but God promises you one thing in verse number 8, that you will be pressured. You will be stressed. You will be stretched, but you will not be overrun. You will not be overcome. You will not be overwhelmed. Why? Because the Lord, your God, encamps around you. And you can take verse 8. You can memorize verse 8. And I want S-I-B-K-L, memorize this verse and declare it in your life. Declare it in your family. And that's why coming back to physical church is so important today. Because God is telling us almost as if we leaders, we the high priests, come into His presence and we can witness, you can feel that God encamps around S-I-B-K-L. God encamps around us. His heavenly host fights for us. His heavenly host says, good work, well done, good and faithful servant. We are, they are cheering us on and says, I would... Love to encourage you. Come back on the 13th and 14th of November. Come back into church because Zechariah says, return, return all you Israel. Return, daughter of Zion, back into the house because God wants to restore you. So say with me the first point. God encamps around us, around His body, which leads me to my second point. When God fulfilled that promise by sparing Jerusalem, there was another king that rode into Jerusalem, but this time not on a war horse. This time not to sack the city, but this king rode on a donkey. There's so much in this just one verse alone, but in this one verse, I will read it. I only want to focus on one point in this one verse. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Oh, see your king. S-I-B-K-L see. Do you not perceive it? Can you not see? Let us pray that we open up our spiritual eyes. Let's not be, let's not see the fear. Let's not see the depression. Let's not see the stress that is out there. Let us not see the problems in the world, but open up our spiritual eyes to see what? See that your King Comes to you, but he comes not to conquer you. He comes not to enslave you. He comes righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. I want you us to pay special attention to these three words. I want to, I want to focus on these three words: donkey, on a colt. The it's a little too fast, but it's okay. All right, pause here. Thanks, thank media team. Donkey on a colt, the fall of a donkey. I had a joke but the joke has now passed, all right? But that's okay, all right? See, why does the Jewish writers have to stress it three times? Why can't they just say a young donkey? Why is it donkey, a colt, the foal donkey? Number one, the donkey in Hebrew means, this is the joke, so, so now you can laugh. The donkey in Hebrew means a donkey, that's all. That's a type of animal, right? Haha, <laughs> so funny, all right? Then the fall of a donkey, it means a young animal. It means it's it's, 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 it''s it's one years old to four years old max, but here is the key word the, on a colt. what is a colt in Jewish language? A colt is a donkey that is used for riding, for carrying, for plowing it 's very specific now when you cross reference this to the gospels on your own time matthew eleven uh, sorry mark eleven Luke nineteen these are the two places it says. Jesus came on a donkey. What was he riding? He was riding a donkey. What was the description of that donkey? It's very important. He has never been ridden before. It means this donkey was unbroken. Now, if you are... How many of us here are agricultural farmers or you have rare donkeys uh, on the side just because you can? No, I don't know. Okay, if you, do, if you do, let me know. My son wants to come and visit your farm. Okay, um, But if you know donkeys or horses, if you have never broken them in and you ride them for the first time or you put a load on them, they will most likely fight you, they will kick you. And in the picture here, I believe you're cooking for me, media team, um, the next picture here shows a, a young donkey and a horse. So if this horse has never had anything on its back, all right, You put something on the back, especially a full-grown man, the donkey would, would kick, the donkey would throw you off. The donkey does not like it. And, but here is the main point. Why did Jesus choose to ride on a donkey that has never been ridden before? Because when you sacrifice, when you... See, Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. When he rides into the temple, knowing that he is the sacrifice, Jewish custom denotes... That everything you use has to be holy and blemished, unblemished before God. It cannot be common. You cannot use a donkey for everyday use, and then Jesus sits on it to go into the temple for a sacrifice. No. It has to be an unbroken donkey. It has to be a holy donkey. It has to be a, a, an unblemished, pure, sanctified donkey. Now here's the brilliance. Jesus wrote in. Unbroken, pure, on an unbroken donkey, pure. To go into Jerusalem, to be broken by men for you and for me, so that we, broken people, can now be living sacrifices to be unbroken before God if it weren't for Jesus riding on that unbroken donkey, if it weren't for Jesus being unbroken himself, being pure and blameless, offering his life as a sacrifice for us, if it weren't for that act, we will not be then deemed unbroken. So now, church, as we go into what, whatever the new normal is in the future, whatever 2022 looks like for you, I want you to keep one thing in mind. People who came to volunteer, all the volunteers on the floor, all the volunteers on the stage, all the volunteers behind the scenes, the media team, and so on and so forth. Whenever you lead, People. Whenever you go into battle, whenever you serve the Almighty God, I want you to remember that the unbroken king of kings rode on an, on an unbroken donkey to come into Jerusalem to be broken for you so that we, his broken people, can sacrifice our lives unbroken before him. The next point I have to make is God encamps around the broken You see, why was Jerusalem saved? Because the people of God fasted and prayed and sought the Lord God Almighty. They were helpless. When Tyre is strong, they were conquered. When Jerusalem is weak, their king conquers for us. God encamps around the broken. We are broken people. But in our brokenness, we can worship God. We can just say, God, you are perfect. You are pure. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. Later on, we're going to sing, Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. God And camps around the body. God And camps around the broken. And in my last final point, as I invite the worship team up, I want to read this to you. As for you, because of my blood covenant with you, I would free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I will announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Why? How can we broken people, people of sin, people who are unworthy, people who are undeserving, now gets the favour, the grace, the mercies of God? Why? Because of this verse the blood of his covenant. God encamps around the blood. God encamps around the blood. And God is calling us church. Don't forget, in all your lockdowns, In all our cooped up at home, and now we're slowly coming to reintegrate into society, coming to say hello, if we remember how to say hello to one another, God is saying, remember that you are people of my blood. I will always remember my covenant love with you. I will never, ever forget I will free you prisoners from the waterless pit. So whatever you're going through this weekend, whatever your waterless pits are, God is saying, I want to free you today. Whatever you're going through in your life, I have known many people during COVID to have lost a loved one. That could be, you could be in grieving still. You could be in mourning. Whatever your waterless pits are, I know people who have lost jobs and up till today, still praying for a job. Whatever your waterless pits are, maybe you're, you're gripped in fear to go out into society because you're not too sure how the COVID will affect you and your family. And that's real. Even I have to grapple, should I bring my son? Should I not? My son is one and a half, three years old. Should I bring him? Should I not bring him? How do I bring him? I'm up here. I can't. Fear is real. Some of us are asking, God, what does 2022 look like for me? Because I'm stuck. I know young people who are wrestling with isolation and depression. I know young people who are asking, is this faith still for me? Whatever your waterless pits are, today, give it on to God because your King comes for you to free you from your waterless pits so that we can no longer be prisoners and enslaved by the enemy, but now we are prisoners of hope. We have the hope for the future because God ends Zechariah with this one verse and you can take this verse and bring it to the bank. God says, return to me because I will restore double to you you. In Jewish language, why double? Why not triple? If I was the author of the Bible, I would say, God restore to me a thousandfold. Why just double? Why not a thousand? Why why not a millionfold? It is just Jewish language that says, God will restore what you have lost onto you. So if you feel, church, that you have lost something in this 2020 and 2021 period, you have lost a semblance of your faith, maybe. You have lost a semblance of society, maybe. You have lost a semblance of friends and family and loved ones. You have lost your riches. You have lost your property. You have lost whatever it is. God's saying today, return to me because I will restore unto you what you have lost. I will restore unto you the years and the things and the time and the talents and the treasures that the locusts have eaten away. God encamps around you. All we need to do is open up our spiritual eyes just like the prophet Elisha, when the Syrian army encamped around Jerusalem and all we could see is our physical enemy. And all we could see now is all our physical enemy. The prophet Elijah says, servant, open up your eyes. Open up your spiritual eyes. And when the servant opened up his eyes, he saw a heavenly host surrounding the city, surrounding Jerusalem. And today I want to encourage as we worship, as we close in worship. And as I just want to call and ask us to stand because I want to pray for you. I want us all to open up our spiritual eyes. Open up our spiritual eyes over our family, Wherever you are, in the sanctuary leaders, if you could stand. Amen. Open up our spiritual eyes so that we can see that God, You encamp around my family. Open up your spiritual eyes so that we can see God, You encamp around SIBKL. You encamp around our church open out our spiritual eyes god you encamp around my business and my workplace god you encamp around me i don't want to see with my physical eyes but i want to see with my spiritual and i want to be encouraged because God is your god God is the god that will come for you he is the holy and anointed one he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords he is the sovereign lord he is the beginning he is the end he is your watcher on the wall he is your good shepherd He is your fortress and your strong tower. He is your refuge and your strength. He is your good master. He is who He is. And today, God encamps around us. So as we worship and as we pray, as we go into this time, let's soak in the presence of God and give God our biggest worship. I want to pray for us. Would you lift up your hands to Him, all that are at home and all here in the sanctuary. God, Will you open up my spiritual eyes, that I will see the heavenly host, that I can see that you are encamped around me, that I can feel that you are a firewall around me, around my family, around my work, around my business, around this church, that You will guard me, Father God, that even though I'm stretched, even though I'm stressed, even though I'm pulled in 5,000 directions, Father God, I declare today that I will not be overrun. I will not be overwhelmed. I will not be overcome by the enemy because Lord my God, You encamp around me. Father God, we are returning to You. Will You restore unto us double. Will you restore unto us double? We worship you. We love you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of God, we pray for hope. We pray for the spirit of hope to enter every heart. We pray for the spirit of hope to enter every home, Lord Jesus Christ. To know that Jesus, you hold us by the palm of your hands. You said that we are your body. You said that you were broken for us. You said that You have died so that Your blood can wash away our sins, so that Your blood can protect us, so that Your blood will go before us. We thank You, Jesus, that You are our covenant-keeping God. And we thank You, Father God, that even now, where the world does not have hope, where the world is looking for an economic recession, where the world is arguing about vaccine travels, where the world is arguing about wars here and wars, and there are rumours of wars. Father Lord Jesus, we keep our eyes on You, the God, our hope, our living hope. There is no one else, Father God. And circle us and camp around us, Father God. Open up our eyes so that we can hope again to know, Lord Jesus, that You are watching out for me. You are watching for us. You are watching out for S-I-B-K-L. We thank You, God, so Lord Jesus, Separate us now this weekend with your face that's shining upon us, with the favour of God, with the mercy of God, with the grace of God, with the hope of God. Watch our going in and our going out. We thank You, Lord. We love You, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen! Amen. Hallelujah.